Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, and welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marable, CEO of Employee Cycle. And you know us, we're that friendly HR analytics dashboard that's helping all of you HR and people leaders out there get rid of messy spreadsheets. That's right. We know that your typical HR reporting process is manual, tedious, and time-consuming, and you're always looking for a better way. That's why we created Employee Cycle, an HR analytics dashboard with pre-built integration connectors to the most popular HR systems out there. So you can pull in all your real-time HR metrics into one place to view, share, track, and analyze all together. Go to EmployeeCycle.com, check it out. We would love to give you a demo and explore on how we can partner to help you automate your HR reporting and analytics process. But that's enough about me and our company, because today I would like for you to help me welcome a great guest. So please help me welcome Sachin Kumar. He's the head of M&A strategy for people at Okta. And today we're discussing the role of HR during the M&A process. Sachin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Bruce. Sachin, welcome. Thank you so much. Happy to be here, Bruce. Happy to have you here. So, Sachin... We have to ask you a very important question, and this is how we always kick off our podcast interviews, Mm -hmm. and that is, how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? Wonderful and wonderful question indeed. Um, So my first brush with M&A itself uh, was by accident. I was working with one of the Fortune 500. Now I believe it's a Fortune 200 firm. Back then, I was part of the business development world. And uh, at that time, one of my bosses was uh, tapped on his shoulder and asked to lead this M&A strategy for a particular function that we were late entrants to. And, uh, you know, he inherited the team, which included myself. So started off the M&A work uh, more in a quasi uh, corporate development world, if you will, Um you know, evaluating potential targets for whether or not they are strategic fit or not, and, um, you know, sending the reports out to the executive leadership team. Uh, While doing this, uh, I ended up uh, being part of two acquisition integrations. Um, I led the work stream for finance uh, in one of them, and the other uh, focused on integration. But what happened was during these uh, integrations, I... uh, you know, I interacted with the HR folks, and I was really floored by the work that they did. Um, you know, the popular perception, and indeed my perception about HR and the people function at that time, I looked at it as more or less like a monolith function, right? You do, you, you do your staffing recruitment, some people business partner work, and compensation and employee relations. That's about it. But the underlying engine that drive that drove All of the HR-related work, um, you know, quite fascinated me. The change management, uh, the lot of data crunching that went on. So, um, you know, once I um, had tasted blood, if you will, I I wanted to move into specialize rather um, in HR. And uh, that's how I ended up with HR. I reached out to the HR leader back then who was setting up a, uh, a team, uh, a center of excellence for uh, within the HR practice for mergers and acquisitions. And I never looked back. Now, uh, you know, 
all these years, I have executed close to a hundred acquisition M&A-like transactions, and across the world. So, yep, still, still here, still enjoying. Wow, that's awesome! And you're pretty much a pro. Hundred <laughs> transactions—that's a lot. That is awesome. Yep, that's a lot. It's been about close to 12, 14 years now. So, wow! So we're going to get some real gems here from all of your amazing experience. And so as we think about this topic, one of the first things that came to my mind is whether or not HR has always been involved in the M&A process. HR has been going through a really interesting transformation as it becomes more and more valuable and perceived as more and more of a mission critical critical role in the C-suite. So I'm curious, has HR always been a part of this M&A role? And if so, what was the evolution of that? Excellent. Um Excellent question. So let's just walk through the timeline and uh, you know a slight peek into the history of this particular role and how this has evolved. Uh, now, if you look at the industrial economies uh, that, that I'm talking about, you know, pre 1990, if you will, right? So we're still focused on uh, industries, uh, the asset, the underlying asset. Uh, the focus was usually on the infrastructure, the product, uh, the market, the access to market, logistics, and so on and so forth. Yes, of course, uh, people were uh, critical, but you know there was a lot of unionism in those days and therefore a leaning towards uh, legal and paralegal to drive a lot of M&A related processes, right? So as to not risk any litigations. And of course, the labor force, uh, while we did have, um, you know, uh, obviously a highly skilled engineering labor force, we also had uh, the conveyor belt labor force, the blue collar um, Right. But then we enter 1990s, um, where there was a sudden shift from industrial economy to the knowledge economy, where people kind of, you know, were peripheral to the overall M&A strategy, moved from the periphery or edge more towards the core. And, um, you know, most companies now started looking at uh, people uh, as key assets, Right, and therefore, the, all the focus and attention moved to ensure that when we integrate organizations, when we acquire an organization, uh, we give absolute and total importance uh, to human capital. So, HR M and A as a role was wasn't that evolved, wasn't that developed. Uh, before 1990, we usually used to lean on, um, you know, external consultants to provide that support and legal to drive through uh, most of the integrations. But moving into late 1990s, when we saw some of few of the uh, you know key uh, serial acquirers, you know, realizing the importance of having people who are specialized in people function. And that's how it evolved. And I have actually seen it through 2008 when I started working on M&A. Uh, I have seen more and more companies uh, creating this particular role, uh, either within corporate development or within uh, their HR function, which is focused on uh, people and people alone. Interesting. So as I continue to think about what HR leaders would want to know about in regards to this whole HR being involved in M&A, 
the first question that I have is, why is HR involved? On the surface, most people just think a company is being bought, a company is being sold, maybe a handful of people will make a boatload of money, and they're going to go to to an island and just ride jet skis all day. (laughs) But clearly there's a lot more details involved in this process and it's a lot more complex than that. So why is HR involved and what is HR doing? HR is probably one of the most critical functions in ensuring that the integration and uh, the vision and the synergy that the corporate development team and the executive team set out to achieve by acquiring a company is realized. I don't think I have, uh, I see any other function, probably IT and technology comes close, but as a function, I would say, uh, you know, between human capital and technology functions uh, as of today, they play of pivotal role in ensuring that, uh, you know, the synergy is achieved. Uh, People have this misconception, as I mentioned earlier, that HR is probably more, uh, you know, the role is more qualitative, soft skills. But there is this huge engine underlying the HR function, which is hardcore data processing, right, compliance, legal, ensuring that, um, you know, everything runs smoothly. Now, let's look at uh, HR's role itself during an acquisition. So typically, you have, you know, pre-LOI phase, which is letter of intent, you move into once the letter of intent is signed with the target company, then you have due diligence, and then you move into a phase which is between signing, once you sign the deal, and closing the transaction, there's that phase. And there's, there's, of course, this whole integration. HR should ideally have a place in the table on the table and also be involved in the pre-LOI stage where the companies uh, are scouting for a new target company because that's where HR can provide value in terms of you know whether that company could be uh, culturally fit uh, and also you know identifying and flagging any risks upfront related to uh, cost of integration and cost of people as such moving into the due diligence, Again, as I said, this is knowledge economy. One of the factors that plays an important role is people uh, viewing people as an asset. And what that really means is what is the cost of acquiring this company, right? So if you're talking about cost valuation, you're talking about uh, employee costs. That includes, you know, whether it's a rec- recurring costs like compensation, benefits, taxes associated with that, but there's also the one-time adjustments that you'll have to make subsequently when you think about uh, integrating the firm, right? Uh, somewhere down the line, it could be immediately as soon as you close the transaction or, you know, three, six, one year down the line. So what is that benefits going to look like? What is it going to cost? What's the impact going to be on the overall uh, payback period and profitability, the margins? So this is hardcore number crunching right up front. At the same time, since we are acquiring uh, this company, it's all about this uh, acquiring the subject matter experts. There is this focus on ensuring that the transition is smooth as we acquire this um, firm. As I said, people are uh, the most important assets. You don't want to lose them. You want to retain them uh, within your organization. It's absolutely, um, you know, ensuring a smooth transition is 
uh, imperative. Um, now, there's also this element, once you have done this, there's also HR has a critical role in contracting, right? So that is to say, when you create a sh- or review the share purchase agreement or asset purchase agreement based on the type of M&A transaction, um, you know, there will be matters related to employees, the clauses, how we treat them. Um, are, are there any key risks in terms of, you know, litigations that we should be aware of? How do we treat those? All of those elements, again, you know, is something that the HR people need to focus on and work with the legal team. There's, um, you know, policy harmonization and integration. As I said, I mean, you do, it's during due diligence, you do a side-by-side analysis to see what's the compensation of this company versus the target company. Uh, you know, what does the job level and title? What does the job architecture look like? Uh, what are the benefits? When do we sunset? How do we work with the vendors of the target company to ensure that uh, the benefits are, uh, you know, the transition is seamless and the overall integration planning, right? Uh, there and there's HR systems is huge, again, to ensure that all the employees are in our system day one, perhaps, right, as the decisions could be. So I can tell you this from my experience, the first few weeks Starting the, starting from due diligence up until the close of transaction and plus a few few more weeks, it's it's very very intense. There's a lot of work that goes in to ensure that uh, you know it's it's a delightful experience for employees and at the same time ensuring that the synergy targets uh, that corporate development and executive leaders. Uh, set out to achieve are met and it's not derailed, right? So this is something like a 50,000 feet. I mean, we can always get into details. Of course. You mentioned something around the valuation of the company and understanding what is the cost of acquiring the company. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, when the company that's acquiring the other company is doing diligence from an HR data gathering standpoint, as you mentioned, that happens in the process, does any of that impact the value or how much you're going to pay for the company? So, for instance, if a company had a high turnover rate mm-hmm. or something that could be seen as a potential risk to keeping the employees once the transaction is done, do you ever find that anything like that ever impacts the value? And if so, do you have any examples? Great question. Um, the answer is yes. Uh, it also depends, uh, right? So let's talk about valuation first. So from a valuation standpoint, it's a no-brainer that uh, you know the cost of compensation, benefits, the employee costs overall uh, directly feed into the cost of acquisition and therefore valuation. So that's one. The second is in terms of uh, the 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 quality. Of resources, right? Not just the quantity. If there are uh, folks uh, who are subject matter experts, industry experts, bring along with them certain IPs, and uh, there, if there will be the cost of retaining them, therefore retention costs, which again feeds into the overall costs and therefore valuation. There is also uh, the impact of. Uh, risks, right? So let's talk about uh, some of the compliance risks, whether it's immigration related, whether it is, you know, government, local government 
regulatory filings? Um, how have they been dealt with? Employee relations, what are the ongoing litigations? Um, so this is one. The second is, have they followed all the processes? In US, for example, if that company has seen uh, major layoffs in the past, have they been compliant with WARN Act, uh, right? So, um, and has, uh, is it still ongoing? Is, is there, uh, are there going to be any cost implications therein? So all of this feeds into the valuation. And at times, uh, there are also indemnifications uh, that are built in, right? So the uh, selling organization, the leaders, uh, they will have to indemnify saying that, hey, all right, so if there, there is, you have identified the risk, we agree. So if there is, then, you know, X amount can be parked in the escrow and you can use this uh, to pay those out. So, so all of this, uh, right, is HR's responsibility to ensure is documented. And, um, you know, we also look at compliance matters related to benefits, right? How have they been operated? What are the key risks over there? So, so this is one. I have had, uh, you know, to answer your question, there have been also transactions where, uh, you know, the certain elements of compliance have been, uh, if not an absolute deal breaker, have added to uh, situations such as those, right? So you, you've come across certain companies where, you know, in, outside of US, for example, they, the transactions or the way they, you know, worked on payroll taxes or immigration laws may not be all that, you know, clean. When I say clean, it's a relative term for us. You know, we may be more uh, stringent with certain compliance things. Others may not. So you build in certain, you flag that as a risk. You say that, all right, so we see potentially if there's a litigation, then, you know, X dollars uh, could be an issue. And if uh, the selling company agrees with it, uh, you know, pretty much that goes, you know, is part of the valuation considerations. Uh, if not, then we just evaluate the risk and see if there's a, an escrow needed and whether uh, it's worth taking those risks. There could be turnover is the other thing you said, right? So if there's a high turnover and we see that um, during our analysis that some of the uh, resources we have identified as key, uh, may not stay behind, right? So they might leave after the acquisition. So again, I mean, you probably need to build in some retention elements over there for key uh, resources. So that again adds to the cost, Bruce. So now I want to move over into the operational side of combining these organizations together. In my experience, the company that is acquiring the the company that's doing the actual acquiring or the acquisition is the company that's basically dictating the terms of what the other company, which is usually smaller, is going to have to adopt. And so if company, the acquiring company is using a certain technology, smaller company will eventually move there. If, a, if the acquiring company has a certain thing that you do with the culture or certain benefits, then usually the company that's being acquired has to move there. Is that always the case? And if so, why would you ever either not transition that company into what the acquiring company already has? Or do you ever see it where the acquiring company actually sees that whatever the company who they're bringing in or merging with actually has something better or more interesting and they actually adopt that across the typically larger company? Does that ever happen? 
Oh, absolutely. And fantastic question, um, this one. So you're right, right? Uh, in most situations, when buying company is the one uh, who dictates what the policies would be, and then uh, this, the acquired company transitions over to their policies, right? Could be immediately as close, three months, six months, one year, you know, depending on the risks, perceived risk. Uh, but that's not really the best practice. Now, ideally, it should be a collaborative effect. Uh, firstly, it should be a collaborative effort between the buyer and the seller to ensure that uh, the integration is smooth. There are, there have been situations where uh, I have worked on transitions where we realize, all right, so, you know, the, the company that we have acquired seems to have, you know, XYZ policy, which seems to be better and more employee friendly. And, you know, why don't we adapt their policies, right? So let's figure out how that works. But the challenge with that is also the difference in the size of the company also matters, right? So, for instance, there is an organization which is uh, close to 100,000 employees, and there's another one which is probably just uh, the acquired firm is just about 1,000-odd employees. What may work for, which may seem to be a brilliant and wonderful policy for that 1,000-employee firm may not necessarily, you know, when you translate that, and transition over to a three hundred thousand employee firm, uh, it might not be practical, right? So, for instance, I've seen companies that have, um, uh, you know, closer to um, the Christmas vacations, New Year, or any other, uh, you know, major events or festivals around the world, um, have giveaways, right, and a whole lot of selections. But when once you look at a hundred thousand firm, is it really possible? The logistics becomes a challenge. You'll have to get in the cost of actually. Executing that is a lot more. So that that's one. The uh, second is um, an example where uh, you know I'm talking about a company which would have been something like close to ten twenty thousand, which uh, acquired another firm which is close to uh, four five thousand, and we are realizing that all right, so uh, they have these wonderful PTO policies, right, and benefits. Can we actually um, you know? adjust ours to match theirs. So those have also uh, occurred. Um, now, again, you know, as you said, that's not really the way it is in practice, but that's the way it should be. Got it. When it comes to change management and communication of all the new things that are happening, is that a function of HR? Is that marketing? Is that internal comms? Mm -hmm. And along with that, when you're combining these companies and you're looking at roles and you're now seeing that some roles, there's just too much overlap and you make the decision that people need to leave or you need to communicate that someone who was at a certain level will no longer be at that level because now they have a new boss due to the new org change and reorg because of the merger or acquisition communicating things like that and really working on the change management, who's responsible for that? All right. So first, uh, again, another great question, Drew. So change management is a very, very broad subject. And um, again, misperception is that, you know, change management is either an HR function or it is a communications function. 
let's look at change management itself, right? Yes, from a people standpoint, there is a major change. They are moving into a different organization, a completely new culture. There needs to be um, all of those communication. There has to be stakeholder management. You need to understand if they are ready for change, what to communicate at what time, what benefits will change, will there be change in their compensation structure, and so on and so forth. So that's Absolutely. That's HR is responsible and should take responsibility for that. But there are also these other changes, right? So um, if you look at it, the other critical area would be IT and technology. The systems are going to change. Uh, Probably their employee IDs will change. How they um, request for their you know, log any issues, technology issues, whom to reach out to, all of those will change. Even on the finance and payroll, uh, there may be changes. So it, and, and not, you know, this, this does not even include the number of changes that they will go through on the business side. In most organization, unfortunately, the change management is thrust onto HR, but that's not the ideal situation. Ideally, this should be change management overall should be managed centrally either by corporate development because they have visibility into uh, you know what's going on across the function including business so they they would be able to uh, you know have someone who's responsible for that uh, you know leading the project management office integration management office uh, if you will now uh, so that's that's you know what really happens versus what should happen uh, i think more and more organizations are moving realizing that it is not really an hr function and it should be managed by centrally by either corporate uh, development team or the business that's actually acquiring uh, a new company now coming on to the next question um, about you know key employees or rather key executives lead, uh, leaving the organization like you know, just like, you know, a business as usual events of senior executive leadership departures, I would say the responsibility for uh, communication is between the HR. When I say HR here is more towards HR business partners, not the HR M&A function, uh, if this is happening after the acquisition. But, you know, they're, they're, they do need to close uh, work closely led by the business unit and the corporate development team. Of course, the drafting is the communication team's responsibility. So this is not something that should be the sole responsibility of the people function or HR uh, per se, but it needs to have, you know, be worked through collaboratively and uh, executed. Now, there are, obviously, this becomes a sensitive issue uh, because, uh, you know, if, a leader is leaving, generally the people of the acquired firm still place their faith and trust in that leader. And therefore, there would be some anxieties, uh, discontent, if you will, with the events. But we have to work with the uh, leader who's leaving as well to ensure that the communication is, you know, as accurate as possible at the same time, uh, you know, ensuring that it doesn't disrupt the integration overall. Sachin, you've been such an awesome podcast guest and you've really been dropping a lot of gems on our audience. I want to ask you one last question, which hopefully you can summarize like 30 to 60 seconds. A lot of mergers and acquisitions afterwards seem to fail. Mm-hmm. 
And if you could give any advice and any parting words to our HR audience who may either be on the buy side or the sell side, is there anything that you would want them to remember so that they can potentially avoid the pitfalls of their M&A transaction failing either during or afterwards, after the transaction? What would it be? Yeah, I would say, you know, firstly, try to get a seat on the table when most of these key decisions are being made. If you are part of the HR team, uh, need not necessarily be have your organization did not necessarily have an MA function, but if you are aware of a tra- potential transaction that is ultimately going to be part of the business unit you're leading, uh, then uh, you know please ensure that all the HR decisions are run past you, and you take a look at uh, you know all the elements including culture. I think one of the reasons that companies' uh, integration fail is that there is a misalignment in culture. It is the responsibility not just of HR, but also of the business people to ensure that uh, the employees feel welcomed. They are they don't feel shortchanged. They are kept. And this is something that we use in all the <laughs> purchase agreements that they, you know, generally speaking, uh, kept whole uh, in the aggregate as far as the take-home compensation is concerned. So, uh, you know, be sure to be there, be involved in acquisitions, and yes, uh, just remember that, uh, you know, it is a big, big change for the employees conveying over to your organization. It is much, much bigger a change than an employee who is joining your organization uh, as an external hire. Because in case of an external hire, they had a choice. In this case, mostly they wouldn't. So a white glove treatment may be required. Sachin, thanks so much for all of this, and especially with your amazing experience of having over 100 transactions from an M&A perspective. That's just awesome. So I'm sure our audience really appreciated everything you had to say. So thanks again for being on the Employee Cycle Podcast. Sachin! Thank you so much, Bruce. Awesome. So where can people people find you and Okta online? So... They can find me on my personal email address is S-A-C-H-I-N-K dot zero one at outlook.com. So you can reach out to me directly. I'm also on LinkedIn. Just you can search for Sachin Kumar uh, Okta. I think on the, the search page, you could find my uh, profile there. So uh, please feel free to add and reach out to me. Awesome. And we'll be sure to include all of that contact info in the show notes. So for all of you listeners that enjoyed this episode as much as Sachin and I did making it, please leave us a five-star rating to show that we're providing great content. Also, if this is your very first time listening to one of our podcasts, and you either came here because you're already a huge super fan of Sachin and you just had to hear what he was going to say, or you thought that the topic was compelling, but now you're hungry for more episodes, please subscribe to the Employee Cycle Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. And last but not least, all of you super awesome HR and people leaders out there, please continue to hire, train, and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.